I, I really enjoy history. You know, when I was in college, I took... Hello? There we go. A couple of world civ civilizations classes that I really didn't need to take, but I heard such great things about Dr. Hazel, but I wanted to sign up. So I took two of her classes, uh, and, uh, you know, she could just piece the story together with such drama, and you, you could see all the, the parts coming together, and, and uh, it was just exciting the way the, the story would be told. And uh, Although I could say I never did get an A in her classes. Uh, they were, she was a really tough grader as well. Uh, but I, that was okay because I, I learned a lot, and that was, that was enjoyable. And today, we're going to learn some history. We're going to learn some history about the Apostles' Creed, and we're going to learn some history about the life of Jesus. Now, first of all, we talk about the Apostles' Creed. Who were the apostles? Well, um, remember Jesus had his 12 hand-picked disciples. He had a lot of disciples, but there were 12, sort of the core group. And, um, they, and, a, and a disciple is a learner, a follower. And as Jesus was getting ready to leave uh, this earth, he appointed them, these 12, or actually 11 by then, to be his apostles. And the word apostle means one who is sent with a commission. So that's what an apostle is, someone who is sent out with a special task. So these apostles were the authoritative witnesses of Jesus' life and resurrection. Now, the Apostles' Creed was not written by the apostles, but it, it's called the Apostles' Creed because it represents a summary of their teaching. Now, the version of the Apostles' Creed that we're using in this series is one that has slightly updated language from the one that maybe a lot of us grew up with, uh, but the content is, is, is the same. So, in a little bit, I'll put it up on the screen, and I want us to say it together. You can stay seated. Uh, say it together as an affirmation of our faith. And I would just say this, if you feel like, I don't know what I believe, or if I'm sure I don't believe that, don't feel like you have to. Just feel, feel free to listen in or join in on the parts you want to. So let's, uh, let's start. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Now, one thing you notice about the Apostles' Creed is that it is mostly about Jesus, right? Nearly two-thirds. And yet, it goes straight from his birth to his death and skips over all the things in between. But what it does tell us is vital. How, however we understand Jesus, it's saying these are some things that we've got to get down right. Today, uh, we're looking at how the, the creed affirms uh, that Jesus was a historical person. Now, I easily could have done a whole sermon on the virgin birth and all that. I'm, I'm going to kind of sidestep that today and talk about how Jesus is and was a historical person. And the section that we're focusing on today, though, is this. Who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, 
suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. Now, why was this included in the creed? Well, it was because there was a religious movement in the 2nd and 3rd centuries called Gnosticism. That's Gnosticism with a silent capital G, okay? Gnosticism. Spent, uh, and they said that the, the spirit world is good and the material world is bad. For Gnostics, the goal of life was to release our good spirits from our evil bodies. And some Gnostic-influenced Christians taught that Jesus, he didn't really have a body. He just appeared to have a body, that he was really pure spirit. And what people saw was not flesh and blood, but more like, like a spiritual hologram. Therefore, he did not bodily die on the cross. Well, the early church leaders knew that this was out of step with the, with the witness of the apostles. And so uh, the apostle, this portion of the Apostles' Creed clears up that confusion from the, the false Gnostic teaching. And the Creed said that Jesus was physically born. And he physically died. Now, of course, a creed doesn't make it true. And that raises another important question that maybe is more fitting for our time as this. How do we know Jesus was even a real person? Right? I mean, that was a long time ago. Can we trust anything from that far back? Uh, could he have been a legend? Is there any, is there any ancient non-Christian uh, evidence corroborating that Jesus was a historical person? And the answer to that last question is yes. I'm going to share with you two ancient non-Christian references to Jesus this morning, okay? One came from this guy, Tacitus. He was a Roman senator and historian who lived from 55 A.D. to 118 A.D. And in his story, uh, he, he tells one of his writings is about Emperor Nero, and he tells when Rome was burned in 64 A.D. And it was widely suspected and probably true that Nero started the fire himself. Tacitus says, and here's the quote, Therefore, to put down the rumor, that is the rumor that Nero started the fire, Nero substituted his culprits and punished in the most unusual ways those hated for their shameful acts whom the crowd called Christians. The founder of this name, Christ, had been executed in the reign of Tiberius by the procurator Pontius Pilate. That's the first reference. The second reference comes from uh, this guy, a Jewish historian and Roman sympathizer named Josephus, Josephus Flavius. Uh, he describes how the high priest Ananus uh, had James put to death. Now, James, or Jacob in Hebrew, was a common Jewish name. So to specify uh, which James this is, he calls him James, the brother of Jesus. Well, we know from the book of Acts in the Bible that James, the brother of Jesus, became the early leader of the church in Jerusalem. But Jesus was also a common name in first century Judaism. So Josephus had to specify which, which Jesus he was talking about. He says the high priest in 62 AD, and here's the quote, called a meeting of the judges, which would have been the same Sanhedrin council, you know, that, that convicted Jesus, a meeting of the judges and brought it 
and brought into it the brother of Jesus called the Messiah, James by name, and some others. He made the accusation that they had transgressed the law and he handed them over to be stoned. Now, there are other ancient non-Christian references to Jesus, but in my thinking, these are the two most important. I read an article uh, recently in, in National Geographic. It was Actually, the article was from a uh, little over a year ago. It was called The Search for the Real Jesus. And it quotes Eric Myers, who is an, an archaeologist and uh, professor emeritus at, in Judaic studies at Duke University. He says this, I don't know any mainstream scholar who doubts the historicity of Jesus. The details have been debated for centuries, but no one who is serious doubts that he's a historical figure. So, if you have ever questioned whether Jesus was a real person or not, let me put your mind to rest. Yes, there was a Jesus of Nazareth who lived, who had a brother named James. Uh, Jesus was executed by order of Pontius Pilate. Here's another question. Do the four Gospels in the Bible fairly portray the historical life of Jesus? It's a pretty important question, isn't it? Skeptics say the Gospels must have, been, must have had added layers of legend to them because they were passed on orally from one person to the next. And, and so what parts really represent true history? Who knows? Well, that argument was in fashion and in some schools of thought from 1920 onward. But I will tell you that, that scholarship is trending away from that theory. The four Gospels, these, these biographies about Jesus in the Bible, were written within the lifetimes of those who are the eyewitnesses of him. It's widely thought, for example, that Mark's Gospel was written first in the 60s A.D. Matthew and Luke probably wrote in the next decade or two, with John's Gospel coming in the 90s. So, let me ask you this. Is 30 to 60 years after the fact too long for living memory to be preserved before it's written down. What do you think? It's a long time. A couple of years ago, uh, Trish and I went to the Paul McCartney concert here in Omaha. What a treat. I mean, there, there's a piece of living history right there, right? And uh, so anyway, I love the music, but also I love the stories that he told. He sold some of the early stories of of him and John, for example, the time that they wrote the song, I Want to Be Your Man, for their friends, the Rolling Stones. And, uh, you know, it was John and Paul met 60 years, uh, almost to the day, uh, before that concert. And yet, when he told us those stories of those early days, none of us uh, doubted that he was giving us a fair representation of what really happened. I mean, he was there. So to me, it's not a stretch that the gospel writers who were either eyewitnesses themselves or had access to eyewitnesses had the opportunity to write a fair reporting of the life of Jesus. Okay, here's another guy, Papias. Papias was a Christian. He was born in 60 A.D. 
And in the uh, early 2nd century, he writes that he learned from uh, a guy named John the Elder that the gospel writer Mark was the interpreter for Jesus' disciple Simon Peter. Well, that means that, that Mark traveled around with Peter everywhere he went and did his interpreting for him. And he, and he heard Simon Peter tell these stories and, of what Jesus did and what he said over and over and over again. He, hearing Peter's eyewitness testimony, Papias says that Mark, and here's the quote, wrote down accurately as many things as he recalled from memory, though not in an ordered form, meaning that maybe not necessarily it was all chronological, of the things either said or done by the Lord. So, Mark's gospel in our Bibles represents the eyewitness testimony of Simon Peter. Our scripture reading that Laura read for us a little bit ago uh, came from the beginning of Luke's gospel. Now, Luke himself, again, was not an eyewitness. He's probably not even Jewish, but he was a traveling companion of Paul and had occasion to go with him to Jerusalem where he could interview people who had known Jesus. So that's why he talks about, as, as we read, the things he said that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by those who, from the first, were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. And then he goes on, I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. Richard Bauckham is a senior scholar at Cambridge University. He says, that Luke's approach is what you'd expect from ancient biographies that were written when those who had a memory of that individual were still alive. A biographer would investigate, draw on original sources, interview eyewitnesses. Uh, Bauckham raises, and, and Bauckham raises another interesting point. He says, when you read the Gospels, you notice that, that a lot of the people who kind of just are in for one scene, uh, they aren't named, but some are. And that's the curious thing. For example, uh, we have Bartimaeus, the blind beggar from Jericho that Jesus healed. And then we have Jairus, the, the synagogue leader whose 12-year-old daughter was dying and Jesus raised her up. And we have Zacchaeus, the tax collector whom Jesus befriended. We have Simon of Cyrene who carried Jesus' cross. And Mark's gospel even names his sons Alexander and Rufus. And then we have the names of the women who went to the empty tomb. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James. And there are several others. Why are these names given? The, the most likely answer is because they were the sources. The, the, dropping those names is like adding footnotes to the text. Saying, here's who you can go talk to to check out the story. As a young man, C.S. Lewis uh, gave up his faith of his childhood, his church upbringing, and he adopted atheism. And then, uh, at the suggestion of a friend, he began reading the Gospels. And he found out that they were completely different from the ancient, ancient myths and legends that uh, he, he knew so well as a professor. And he realized that unlike those, those ancient myths and legends, the Gospels were set in a historical time, in a historical place. And as he read the Gospels, it seemed to Lewis that these authors were simply reporting in unadorned fashion what happened. He said he found there 
authentic character compelling. And that is partly one of the reasons why he put his faith in Jesus. Now, another question you might be asking is, well, I've heard that aren't there other Gospels? Why do we only have the four? Are are we ignoring some? Well, and, and some of you, maybe you've read The Da Vinci Code or you've watched the movie and it talked about other Gospels. Well, I just want to say that the other Gospels were all written much later after the people who actually knew Jesus were long gone. And, and those other Gospels also had agendas. Uh, for example, to, to promote a Gnostic version of Jesus. And so that's why they were, they're not included in our Bible. That they were not considered apostolic from the apostles. Now, I can't prove to you that the Gospels and the Bible are true, but I can tell you that there, is, there, there are reasons to consider them a reliable witness to the life of the historical Jesus. If you allow for the existence of God, if you allow for the possibility of miracles, then I believe that the Gospels have to be read with an open mind. One of our Our goals in this series is not just to learn the creed and the basics of the faith, but also to bring our experience to it. And so uh, this morning I want to lead us into a time of of meditating, meditation. And so now's when you're going to need your rock. So you want to pull it out and uh, keep it close at hand. Uh, Hopefully you all received one and, and you still got it. If not, just kind of wave to an usher or something and we'll I see Joshua over there if you still need one okay all right you know a stone is is more than just an object in a sense it is a piece of history it was it was made smooth by water rushing over it and and bringing silt and and sand to to make it smooth like it is today and i can imagine that before that this rock, this stone was part of some larger stone formation. And, and, and I have no idea how old the material in this stone is, but I'm imagining it's way older than I am. And so by touching this stone, by touching your stone, you are touching the past. What do you notice about your stone? You notice colors or variation any variations in color you might even hold it to your cheek does it does it feel warm or cold so i'm going to lead us into a time of meditating on the life of jesus using this stone as an aid so you can do what you want you might want to close your eyes and just feel the stone with your fingers you might want to look down at it as you hold it Uh, whatever helps you to kind of enter as we go from one scene to the next in Jesus' life. So let's begin. The place where Jesus was born and laid in a manger was likely a cave. And there would have been stones on the ground in that cave. As you touch this stone and feel it with your fingers, picture that cave where animals had been kept Notice that it's dim, quiet, 
and smells musty. Jesus grew up learning the carpenter's trade and the most available building materials were stones. As you touch this stone and feel it with your fingers, imagine a young man, Jesus, with calloused hands doing construction work, lifting heavy stones and setting them in place. At his baptism, Jesus spent 40 days fasting in the wilderness. Then he was tempted. If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. As you touch this stone and feel it with your fingers, imagine yourself sitting with Jesus in that dry, stony wilderness. Remember that he too was tempted. Jesus taught the goodness of God by talking about a good parent who would not give their hungry child a stone instead of bread. As you touch this stone and feel it with your fingers, remember those who have cared for you and fed you. Let it remind you of the goodness of God. We recall a scene where a woman caught in adultery was brought before Jesus. The religious people said the law required that she be stoned to death. Jesus said, let the one who is without sin cast the first stone. One by one, the accusers dropped their stones and left. As you touch this stone, and feel it with your fingers. Hear the words of Jesus. I do not condemn you. Go and sin no more. Stones are easily tossed away. Jesus once described himself as a rejected stone, which has now become the cornerstone of something new. As you touch this stone and feel it with your fingers, 
Consider who Jesus is to you. Is He a stone to be tossed away or the cornerstone of your life? As Jesus entered Jerusalem, amid waving branches and shouts of Hosanna, his followers began to praise him as their king. The pious Pharisees were offended, demanding that Jesus tell his disciples to stop. He replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As you touch this stone and feel it in your fingers, give praise to Jesus your king. Jesus died on a Friday. He was buried by Joseph of Arimathea, placed in a tomb. A large stone was rolled over the entrance of the tomb. Guards were stationed there, and they put in a, an official seal over the stone. As you touch this stone, as you feel it with your fingers, go to the tomb and see the large stone blocking the entrance. following Sunday, some women went to the tomb bringing fragrant spices as part of the burial custom. They wondered how they were going to get such a large stone rolled away. But when they arrived, the stone had already been moved. As you touch this stone and feel it with your fingers, imagine the shock and confusion of the women seeing the stone moved aside and the tomb empty. Let's pray. Jesus, we want to know you the real you who lived among us, who took on our human flesh. You are the one who was born and lived among us. Lord, perhaps there are some here today who are believing this for the very first time, that you are real. Reveal yourself to them. Reveal yourself to all of us. Be to us our cornerstone that our lives may be built on you. We pray in your name. And all God's people said, Amen.